ADHD children, individuals that receive proper care, are able to get the proper support, can exceed and excel and do everything everybody else can. And so that window, we just want to make sure that they're prepared for the challenges that come up and we don't want to sacrifice our relationship over, you know, these artificial constructs of what they should or shouldn't be doing. Hello and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? I have four virtual summits to share with you, but they're different from the last four. A couple of them changed. The first is the Happy Child with Special Needs. It begins September 28th. I will be talking about my Wall of Awful model, which you may have heard about or you may not have. If you really want a clear understanding of it, this is the place to go. The second is the ADHD Awareness Expo, which will run the entire month of October. In that summit, I'll be presenting on using values to improve our decision-making and prioritization skills. The third is the Natural ADHD Solutions Summit. I will be presenting on October 9th, and this one has really specific dates that it runs on. October 5th, October 9th, October 12th, and October 16th. And the last one is the Parenting ADHD Summit. This one runs Monday, October 19th through Thursday, October 22nd. And I will be presenting on Navigating Virtual School and Learning Challenges. I will have the links for each of these summits in the show notes. So please make sure you take a look over there and send yourself over to whichever one sounds interesting. And of course, check out our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers and Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb. Both of them have been on a roll lately, and I'm really enjoying the shows that they're putting together. It's an honor to be included in the same podcasting network as those two gentlemen. And finally, a big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies for helping me to get this show together. I greatly appreciate his help. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Dr. Tom Pedigo. Tom is a board-certified medical psychologist specializing in ADHD. And he's a co-founder of the Esteem app. Esteem is a free, busy parent, ADHD-friendly app that helps parents better monitor their kids' ADHD progress and communicate it to medical professionals. In today's episode, Tom and I talk about the importance of communication when managing ADHD with the support of a medical team. We talk about typical conflict flashpoints at home, including a great tip for cleaning a room. And of course, we discuss the Esteem app. We talk about how Esteem helps parents communicate more effectively with their pediatricians and mental health clinicians with regard to their child's ADHD how it helps us gain insight into the needs of our children and focus on specific areas of need with regard to our kids. 
we also talk about the aspects of Esteem that make it user-friendly. All right, let's get rolling. I'm Dr. Tom Pettigo. Happy to be here talking with you today. I'm the co-founder of Esteem Therapeutics, a um, digital health uh, company that is developing free parent support tools with an emphasis on empowering parents and improving the outcomes for their children and their families. I got my doctorate at Indiana University of Pennsylvania, where I studied a dual track of clinical and school psychology with an emphasis on neuropsychology of learning disabilities. And followed that up with a internship and two and a half year residency at Memorial University Training Hospital in Savannah, Georgia. I am currently a licensed and board certified medical psychologist in the state of Georgia. For 22 years, I owned and operated specialty neurodevelopmental clinic where we focused on ADHD, autism, Asperger's, various behavioral disorders, uh, social emotional adjustment. In that period of time, I provided the direct service or supervised over 15,000, the care of over 15,000 families. So this experience helped me develop a keen understanding uh, of the challenges parents are faced in supporting um, their children to reach full potential, both in terms of what's needed at home, uh, but also understanding uh, what's going on at school, how to interact within the traditional medical model, uh, and do all of those things and uh, be good parents, husbands, wives, <laughs> community members. And so it really um, became point and center that if, when you work with families uh, in this particular area, that it's a comprehensive approach. And you have to be sensitive to the demands on their time, their resources, um, their ability to adapt to all of the demands that are placed on them without being empowered, without being the, the center of command. That has led me to be very interested in developing tools that could be an adjunct uh, to clinical practice that could extend parents' power and to provide care for their children 30 days a month, 365 days a year, not just the two days a, a month that they can get into the clinician's office and then try to circle the wagons and go over the same material over and over again. You know, once the diagnosis and medication needs, if those are, are there, are addressed, parents really are more concerned about their children's social, emotional growth, maturity. What happens on a day-to-day -day basis? Is my child gonna be ready? Am I doing what my child needs? When should I intervene? You know, they often report, they feel like they're running in circles and they're going through this, this journey and they think that they're on the right track and next thing you notice, they, oh my God, I've seen that rock before. I must have just made a circle. And so they're hoping that professionals know what needs to be done. And they're often having to be reactive and responsive to uh, the context that children operate in, homeschool, community, it could be even Sunday school, could be karate, it could be the classroom, you know, and then within the, the uh, medical model where they're dealing with physicians, therapists, other ancillary um, professionals like speech language, OT, PT, uh, applied behavior analysis, all of those individuals have their own views of how things are happening, and they're not always on the same sheet of music, and they're often are providing different paths on this journey that parents are uh, on and feeling like they're circling, and so it's really important, I felt, to provide some structure, but more importantly, to put parents in the center and, and the power of that, and to do that, they have to be able to get clear objective information around key components that they're interested in their child's development of and being able to provide those to school community physicians and therapists it sounds like that's what esteem does right like it's there 
to one provide sort of a central hub because esteem is an app, right? Yes. And so its job basically is to help parents record some of the data and observations that they're finding. And that creates a repository that multiple caregivers can access. I'm assuming doctors, probably also teachers. Absolutely. So when they, what it does is really um, puts them at the center of control over their child's uh, development and journey. And, and it changes it from being passive and, and always waiting for information from some professional about something that's happened to really understanding my child's past two weeks, three weeks, past months, past three months in key areas of development. And being able to provide that information to healthcare professionals and people that are involved with my child has been shown to be able to have tremendous impact uh, on children's development outcome. For example, there were three studies that were conducted uh, by Cincinnati uh, Children's Hospital and Philadelphia Children's Hospitals, where they showed when parents could provide consistent information across these contexts, um, just to the pediatricians, that significant outcomes uh, were available, and uh, including things like reducing and eliminating medication in, in many cases. It also shows that parent satisfaction, stress within the family, parent-child relationships, all of those factors improved. The downside of that was that it was labor intensive, continued to have parents forced to work within the medical model. It was very costly for pediatricians, and it focused on the narrow concerns of physicians and not necessarily on the concerns that are important for parents as they move forward. Subsequently, many families and sites, they dropped out of those studies. What were the specific areas? The, you mentioned three areas. Can we circle back to those three areas real quick that, that parents want to pay attention to? Sure, sure. Well, there were a couple more there. The areas are getting clear information that they can that they can relay, feeling like they're on a path that's not circling itself, like we're, we're making progress, we're getting somewhere. Uh, being able to advocate effectively and navigate the demands of the traditional medical model. You know, on the, they've got limited time, resources, financial resources, uh, who's in control, am I able to collaborate in an effective manner? And so some of the things that are related to that are Parents have difficulty because of those constraints being able to anticipate problems before they become serious. Yeah. Um, they don't know if their children are getting the support that they need. Um, they don't know if what I'm trying is really paying off. Is it really helping? And that's compounded because we're often working within these discrete developmental windows. So children's development is stepwise. Your, your growth is linear. Your, your age is linear. It's, you know, you're 10, you're twice as old as you were at five. Social emotional development is more stepwise. And so we have these, these challenges that are impeding on children's social and emotional development. And we only have these windows of time where we need to make progress so our kids are ready for the next challenges that come through. And if they're not, then we start to see some things backing up. And so parents have a lot of anxiety about that because they don't have clear information that they can rely on to know my child is making the right moves. We're still seeing a problem here. Here's what I'm doing. It's working. That's not paying off. I need to move my resources to something else. And there's also the challenge of limited observation too, right? Because if, if I have a kid with ADHD, I see what my kid is like at home. Maybe I see what they're like at the soccer field or in karate or something. If I stick around, I might also use that time to go grocery shopping or something. And I almost certainly don't really have any idea what's going on at school with the caveat that COVID-19 is bringing school home and things are different in this literal moment, but that's not going to be forever. So we want to have that bigger picture too. And esteem is helping kind of create more of a, a database of that kid because we can share that information. 
and and you're maybe you're not giving esteem to like the soccer coach that's totally cool but certainly teachers are going to be able to provide a little more information than you would ordinarily get having sat on both ends of that communication pile right as a teacher and as a parent it's just really hard as a teacher to communicate stuff and to know what you should be communicating as a parent to to ask the right questions i mean i know what those questions should be for the most part but even i don't know all of them and having a having a, an app that's going to help me know what questions to ask my teacher is is powerful and then as a parent if i don't know what patterns to look for if i'm not putting together the fact that my kid struggles with large projects and breaking them down into small tasks that can be Im- implemented and is successful with if i'm not seeing how that connects to their struggles cleaning their room or clearing out the yard then i'm not able to provide my doctor with the right kind of information right like i might not be able to say oh yeah no that that breaking large tasks down into small manageable chunks that completely exists in two different domains of my kid's life it exists at home and it exists at school a small related topic to this is one of the things i talk to parents about is read your kids 504 iep because the tips in there the like strategies for teachers to use parents can use those too at least most of them absolutely not every parent thinks that way so giving them that piece is good and esteem is sort of smoothing out the edges i guess and and helping that transition of knowledge and information from home to school am i understanding this correctly absolutely you know so so related to to those observations is um when when parents would come in they'd be in a dependent state right they they would come in and they would not feel like they could push or pressure they often would tell me if they did that at school or did it with pediatricians they would get pushback and uh, and then they don't feel comfortable pushing back on that pushback as well and they're not armed with information that changes the mindset of those individuals so when you come in with good sleep data medication management data you come in with you know i've done these these simple activities with my child and I can see my child cannot do X, Y, Z. All of a sudden, your knowledge base and your ability to articulate the functioning of your child enlightens and, and brightens the space for those individuals so that they can now think outside of the box. Absent that data, they feel they're the experts. They feel like it's their job now to sort of read the tea leaves a little bit, right? And that leaves parents unempowered. So our app, not only tracks and manages and reassesses and then provides collaboration and then updates and produces a report that is important for everybody and does that with automatic push notifications. It actually encourages and gives specific things parents can do in specific areas that they have identified they want to work in to become better informed about how my child is functioning in those areas. So it's giving tips, it's giving ideas. Tips and strategies and insight activities because now um, something as simple as, you know, and they're all in game format. They're all come across as little brief interactions. We, we want parents and kids to have more positive interactions because they're already stressing about why are you not picking the towel up off the floor? For three years, I've been telling you to pick the towel up off the floor, you know, kind of thing. And so there's plenty of room for flashpoints. And what we want to do is have parents be able to uh, have other tools that expand their tool, their toolbox to say, you know what? If we want to have positivity, we need to make opportunities for that. And if I can gain insight 
to my child what they're struggling with, it becomes much more real. And I can understand what other people are saying to me when they're on track and when they're not on track about my child. When you say flashpoint, what do you mean? How are you using that word? So those are friction points that, that occur in, in, in these families, and not just ADHD, but all of these children that are stuck struggling with different developmental, social, emotional, developmental needs. Getting up in the morning, getting myself ready for school, doing the things that are mine, that are within my intelligence, within my physical skills and capability, that are my rightful responsibilities, that are that are that I need to be able to adapt to on a day-to-day basis because our success is predicated on being able to meet those needs and those at every developmental stage. You're using Flashpoint the way I would have used it, right? As an, a point of potential conflict. Yeah, friction point. Probably a better word. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't like a specific term of art from the app that I didn't know yet. And I, in case it was, I wanted to ask the question. No, 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 it's not. But I think that's an important place for us to play a little bit because it's really easy for parents across the country, around the world who are listening to this to feel like those flashpoints exist only in their home and there's something wrong with their kid or wrong with them. And as long as what's come up, we may as well take this opportunity to maybe play a little bit with that for a minute or two so that they can hear some of these flashpoints and go, oh, it's not just me, right? Like the towel on the floor, that's not just you. That's happening for lots of lots and uh, lots and lots of other families because Tom wouldn't have mentioned it if, if it wasn't common. Can you think of any other sort of typical flashpoints outside of homework, which hopefully everyone knows that's one's common, but can you think of any others that might exist that you've seen? Sure. You know, so being able to follow through on, on simple, simple requests and, and tasks, you know, complaining that, that something that's well within my ability, my intelligence, my physical capabilities is just too hard. Having to feel like I'm, I have to stand over there and supervise and remind them consistently over things that I've already said and done and, and I need to be able to move on and do all the adult things that I need to do in my in my life and I'm having to circle back. Some of that, like like you're saying, something that's within my intelligence level, like there's a little bit of a distinction there, right? Because the kid might not be able to do the task that is being asked of them. But the parent is like, nah, a 12 year old should totally be able to do that, forgetting or maybe not knowing, although if they listen to this podcast, hopefully they know that ADHD is a developmental disorder. So your 12-year-old is not operating necessarily at the level of their peers and may very well be operating at the level of more of a 10-year-old. And if you reframe that task you're asking them to do and go, would I have asked this of them when they were 10? And the answer is no. That's important information because it means your kid developmentally is somewhere between 12 and 10, at least for this kind of task. Let me give you an anecdote about that. My son, my oldest son, when he was 14, he had ADHD. He still does, but he's He's, he's like most people, he's hung in there and he's, he's doing great. Uh, but he wanted to move upstairs over our garage. It was a big room up there and he couldn't keep a small room straight. We call him the world's worst finder. For example, we send him to go look at something and I, and he'd say, it's not there. I swear. And he would up and down and up and down. And I'd go in there with a second, I'd pick up something because it's clear it must be under that thing. And he just couldn't make that adjustment. So he moves to this upstairs room. And I didn't visit it for a couple of weeks because we were trying to give him autonomy and I just didn't want to. But anyway, I go up there and he's trying to clean it and he's just got things everywhere and uh, he's just overwhelmed. I can't do it. It's too hard. All I can, it's all he could see were the things that he couldn't get to, right? Couldn't even get started. So I said, well, you know, uh, I'm a psychologist. I, I work in this area. <laughs> you know, I should know how to do so. What would I tell one of my parents to do, right? I didn't have a hula hoop. So I went outside, I cut a piece of rope. 
about uh, four feet uh, around. And I brought it back outside, fused it together, and threw it down on the floor. And I said, that's zone one, clean zone one. And he went over there, and he cleaned zone one. And I said, good job. That's awesome. I haven't heard this strategy before. I love it. That's fantastic. He almost took that rope with him to college. I said, don't do that. Here's a hula hoop. You, know, you gave him a hula hoop for graduation, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. So it's, so it's one of those things of taking those, those things that we create friction points that could drive a parent crazy using, using your insight there, understanding development. It's not personal. It's not a refusal. Actually, more tension and more pressure and more self blows to their self-esteem will, will create more challenge and more difficulty for these individuals. So using, using an approach like that, you know, and, and finding those ways to help your child be successful. And, and if you have to support them and if you have to walk them through it, then that's what you do. Because at the end of the day, I want my children to come home. I want to have a good relationship with them. I don't want to fight with them about things that don't really matter. Because eventually, ADHD children, individuals that receive proper care, are able to get the proper supports, can exceed and excel and do everything everybody else can. And so that window, we just want to make sure that they're prepared for the challenges that come up and we don't want to sacrifice our relationship over, you know, these artificial constructs of what they should or shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And that room example is awesome as a way to illustrate the difficulty that ADHD brains have in breaking things down into small manageable chunks and also our tendency to be very all or nothing in our thinking. That's what's going on. Your son is seeing the whole room and is only seeing the whole room and is like, I can't do this. I don't even know where to start. You throw a rope down in a loop and you're like, start right there. And then all of a sudden it's a smaller section and that's manageable that he can do. And that's, that's so much of what's hard for folks with ADHD is that we see one side and the other side and we have difficulty finding the gradations in the middle. And by the way, parents, that's a struggle for parents with ADHD too. And even parents without ADHD, we often think all or nothing. It's critical that you start to adjust that. One of the things I've been talking with my parent coaching groups about is the idea that if the only time you're going to cheer for your kid is when they get a triple, they're never going to hit a single and they got to hit a single before they're going to hit a triple, right? So like that loop of rope is a single a triple is getting the room clean mostly and a home run would be like the room is immaculate. Right. Right. <laughs> and I have a lot of parents. It's, it's often dads that resist this whole idea that like my kid does a little bit of something, but it's not perfect. And I'm supposed to be happy about that and cheer them on and congratulate them and like encourage them to do more. Often the phrase I hear from dads is that like, I don't think everybody should get a trophy which is what brought me to this part of the metaphor is like, yeah, trophies like baseball. That's the elite. I hear that. I'm not arguing that, but we still clap when people get a single when we watch a baseball game. So all you're really doing is clapping. You're not giving a trophy. You're just like, Hey, good job. Like, well done. Now move the rope and do the next thing. That's such a critical component to managing folks with ADHD. And, and that brings me back to esteem because that's what esteem is doing. It's providing the singles. It's helping us break the stuff we should pay attention to down into small, more manageable chunks. And I want to make one small distinction because my all or nothing ADHD brain does this all the time with apps. Whenever someone has an app and they're like, yeah, it collects all this data, right? Like it does all this figuring stuff out for you. My ADHD brain is like, 
and I know it's wrong, but this is still what happens in my head and I have to correct it and talk back to it every time. My ADHD brain is like, that's awesome. So my phone can just like be in my pocket and magically know all of this stuff. And like, no, you have to enter that information into the app, but then it will apply things and be a repository and find patterns that you're not seeing and all that kind of stuff. So that's one of the things that I think is great about this app is the nature of how it helps us delineate into silos and patterns. We've been developing this for over about two and a half years now. Uh, and so we started off, we, we were several assumptions that we, we wanted to make. And one of them was that, you know, it, it had to be something people would use um, that they could engage with and didn't create uh, bottlenecks for them and didn't create more of a, a labor intensive because we knew it, most of the parents, many of the parents ADHD, but even the parents that aren't ADHD have limited time and resources. And so we have been using beta versions of this uh, with thousands of people. And we sh I should say that, that those are free and our app is free. I didn't say that to begin with. It's 100% free. And so, so we could get feedback and we've been able to learn a lot about what parents can adapt to, what they can actually tolerate in an app like this. And it comes down to being able to focus, have enough comprehensiveness that you can address the whole family needs, but allowing people to fine tune the portions of the app they want to use and to not have to be burdened by these other things. I don't have to go through these other doors. I go through this door and I go to the room I want to go to. Uh, I collect the data that's important to me. I get all this feedback and tracking and managing and report and all that kind of stuff. I can adapt that as I want to. I set the frequency and the type of response and the type of collaboration that I want. So it's very, very personalized. And then the app is sophisticated enough to present specific uh, resources, interventions, strategies, tips, insights that are specific to what that person chose. So they're not inundated with a bunch of other stuff. Oh, by the way, you might be interested in this too, because people didn't want to be, they didn't want to be bothered by that. They wanted to have choice. They wanted to have preference. They wanted to determine what kind of messaging, what the frequency is, the app will tell you two times a week, once every month, whatever, any frequency you set. But once that's set, then it's automatic. And within two to three minutes a week, you're able to keep up with all of these key indicators about my child's overall health, core symptoms across all the major child developmental conditions and, and symptoms that could get in the way, as well as physical health indicators like sleep, medication side effects, uh, is my child growing properly? Uh, as my child, you know, you know, is having food sensitivities, things like that, that things that parents don't normally think of. Uh, we've had a rough patch. What's just happened? What's just changed? You know, is my kid getting bullied at school? Um, did my, my sister bring her cousin for an extended visit? And that changed the equation in the home for long periods of time. All those things that we need to think through to understand over a period of months, is my child on the right developmental track? And so when that's easy to do and very personalized and provides those resources back to parents that they have this keen understanding, they have these new insights and strategies, and we, we, we really key them to develop positive relationships. So in the app, in some of the, some of the interventions, we are very much focused on self-regulation. We're very much focused on improving the key skills that children need, um, parents need them to grow and to develop and also for parents to develop positive parenting uh, skills and techniques because they're often stuck in this cycle of punishment uh, with their kids, just like the dad you were talking about who's hardcore 
and doubles down on, you know, you're going to do this one way or the other. And they take everything away from the kid. That the only source of joy uh, and uh, relief that the child has until you straighten up, buddy, until you, you know, and maybe under that extreme pressure in one instance, a child gets it done, but then they fail three or four more times and we're in punishment until we finally give up and they have to start all over again, right? And so that understanding of this neurodevelopmental trajectory that you're talking about earlier uh, becomes really important for giving myself freedom and permission. And I think the app does. It gives you permission to advocate for your child, permission and the empowerment to be the knowledge provider for your child. And more apparently, uh, importantly, to be the freedom to continue to develop a positive relationship with your child by knowing what steps I can take to create positivity within my interactions every day because we're going to have friction points too. Is the app providing sort of tips and language to help foster that positive parenting interaction? Absolutely. So, so those 15,000 families that, you know, I, I've been involved with, that's what I spent my time doing. You know, I'm one of 80 board certified medical psychologists uh, in the nation. Wow. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I spent all that time training and, and all, all that energy getting board certified was very intimidating yeah. kind of thing to do. And I spent all my time helping parents navigate their relationship at home and strategies at home. And I wasn't trained to do that. I'm trained the, the neurobiology and how health and physiology intersects with, you know, psychology. Uh, and but what parents are really interested in is, you know, how can I be sure that when I'm disciplining my child, I'm not hurting them? How do I know when it's time to throw down the hammer? <laughs> you know, help me through those kind of things. And, and then I just realized after, you know, 20 years of doing this, that our job is to help support people to develop healthy families healthy relationships, and not to force certain artificial social constructs that can be more damaging. And so the medical model is just enculturated with that. Just like some of those stubborn dads, the medical model is kind of fixed that way too. And so I felt like, you know, if I could extend this work that I've done with these parents and put it in an app where they can get care and support every day of the month, 365 days a year, imagine what the outcome could be for these individuals and imagine the impact that could happen. So we worked hard and we were very successful with that, but I could only reach three, 400 families a year. Yeah. But this app is going to get more than that. So one of the questions I have just circling back for a minute is you mentioned that the upkeep of this app is like two minutes. It's like two minutes to enter your data, right? Or your kid's data. What we sort of skimmed over that I want to make sure I highlight is what's the upfront cost, right? What's the barrier to entry? Because I know for me, if I download an app and I think it's going to take me 15 minutes to be able to get using it and it ends up taking an hour, I'm going to quit 20 to 25 minutes in and then I'm not going to use that app. So I want to make sure that the parents know what the cost is. Because if it's an hour and I know it's an hour, I'll still use the app because I built in enough time to, to get started. What does that look like when it comes to initiating this app for my child? Yeah, sure. Thanks. It's great. It's a great uh, point. Great question. So as I mentioned earlier, we, we have been doing a series of beta tests with, with uh, large parent groups and getting feedback about those because we want parents to be able to come into the app and be able to set up a, a case in five or 10 minutes is literally what it takes to the initial investment in the app to have things loaded in there. There are, there are many more features that as a parent gets familiar and learns that they can then activate and that they can learn, but they're not forced to come in and activate all these other things, uh, all these other tools and elements. Some of those are brought back to them over time 
as certain problems might continue to pop up. And, and then we would alert them, hey, there's this feature here that may be of help for, for you right now. And so the, the uptake time on that is really, really um, great. I mean, our user, average user time right now, and this is amazing for apps, is 16 minutes per session. So people come in, they get engaged, they stay in it, they, they understand how to use it, and uh, we're really, really happy with that. The, the second part of that is the feedback that they get is automatically updated to their dashboard, automatically updated and building these trend lines, tracking uh, performance, highlighting growth. We have growth indicators you can look at and goals to get set, and you can see very quickly whether how, how we're doing every time that happens. So people don't have to do deep dive every time they open the app, every time they go look at it. They don't have to wade through. They can, there is a deep dive. There is detailed information if you want to go do that. Uh, but you can once you got it set up and, and you've got the certain factors that you want to track, uh, they're just visual key indicators right there that literally take seconds wow. to know. You can also delay if you get a notification and it says, you know, hey, it's time to fill out, refill out this form for Tommy. Uh, and you say, ah, not now. And boom, it'll remind, it'll remind you later. And so it's not intrusive in, in that respect. And, uh, and so the other part that we originally had a um, subscription model and, uh, and we were very successful with the subscription model. But what we realized was that there are certain groups of individuals who just, it was like $14.95 a month, and they just couldn't swing the $14.95 a month. And, uh, and we were like, you know, we want this to be for everybody. And so we've also made, you know, that friction point where it's free. The base app, everything we've been talking about here is absolutely free, will always be free. There's no this freemium to premium kind of idea. I had an app that was supposed to do meditation and it was free and I, I got into it. It was supposed to be a 30 day trial, but within 15, 20 minutes of using it, I hit a paywall. And, uh, and it wouldn't let me go any further. And people are just tired of that. You know, there are no blind alleys. There, there are no things where you have to now make another step or now you got to put in your credit card. None of that kind of stuff now. And we got that feedback from people. We want to use it the way we want to use it. We need it to be simple. And we also had a really smart move. As you can tell, I'm, you know, I'm an older guy and, uh, and my co-founders uh, are, are very mature. But we went out and we found really talented young people who have grown up with technology, who understand technology and what people want, what they need, what they think is a good app, what they think is a useful tool, because that's the age grouping of the people that this product is uh, is targeted at, this app is targeted with. And so we needed to get their feedback and those individuals' feedback about making it slim, streamlined, being able to come in, go directly where you need to, being able to to not be encumbered with a bunch of you know unnecessary information because I'm a medical psychologist. One of my co-founders is a is a behavioral health architect. The other one was a marketing guy at Apple. He developed the uh, the leading knowledge uh, sharing company in the world called Expert Exchange. And we're all full of words. We're all full of ideas. We have all these ideas, and we had to, we had to condition ourselves to trust these individuals who understand the digital era. But we also wanted to be able to cross what's sometimes referred to as a digital divide, where there, there are certain things that aren't available to people, and, uh, and we wanted to make sure that Esteem is uh, available to everybody. Okay. So a couple questions that are not remotely connected to each other, so I'm just going to ask them real quick, sort of lightning round style, I guess. The first one is, if the app is free, 
how are you even making enough money for upkeep, let alone any level of profit or, or investment stuff? How does, what does that look like? Okay, so, so here was the thinking about that. So we, we have these add-ons, right? There, there are these evidence-based tools and interventions that we've curated um, that have all been proven. They've all been vetted. They all have track records to show they can help. And they're targeted specifically at certain areas that parents are interested in. In our earlier um, work, when we were doing the subscription model, we know there was a certain number of parents who would spend that money on those, on those particular apps. But it was limiting the access to other individuals, right? And so we know that when it comes to these interventions, um, we make the app really heavy with, its, with what it provides because it provides strategies and interventions that are free. But there are these upgraded interventions where we have some of our own uh, essential, we call them STEAM essentials. We have a, a neurofeedback tool that works with a simple iPad that's $9 a month. And uh, it, it's an amazing tool. It's called Reading Attention Tutor. Um, we have um, something called Target Recognition Task that is an executive functioning measure that can assess your child's uh, improvement in their executive skills over time. Uh, we have multiple different levels of positive parenting uh, tools and techniques. We're adding um, digital coaching and on-demand access to coaches and on-demand access to licensed professionals. So, so that's where STEAM uh, will generate its income from. Okay. So it sounds kind of like this podcast, right? Like people download this podcast, they get a ton of really valuable information. At least that's the plan, hopefully. You're enjoying this episode, ladies and gentlemen. But for more curated stuff, including like one-on-one coaching with me and parent coaching groups and that kind of stuff, now you got to pay me because I have a mortgage, right? Like that, that sounds like it's kind of the same idea and, and awesome. That's, that seems like a really good model. You're trying to sort of over-provide value with the app in the same way that I'm trying to over-provide value with this podcast, but that doesn't mean your value ends there. There's still other stuff. We're building a relationship, right? We're building a relationship of trust. And, you know, and if these folks treated us this good and they gave us this really wonderful tool to use, uh, the second part of that is that we know that most families, uh, when they need intervention, it cycles. They don't need it all the time. And so if you have a, an app that you got to charge for because it's going to have interventions in there that people may not need in the moment, then it's not very useful in that respect. And it's overkill, like you were just saying. And so we see it as we want them to be able to have access to these things as tickets. There's no subscriptions. There are no contracts. You turn them on, you turn them off as you need them. Because I know how it is. You come home. Tommy's had a bad day at school. Oh, man, I don't know what to do. I need to go talk to Brendan. I need, I need, I need to get to somebody. Right? It's in the moment where people will, will need those. And so making it free, having those interventions available and, and for people to use them when they need to, seem to be a very responsible way of um, approaching this. Cool. And my second question is maybe something that came up during your beta testing and maybe it didn't. I was thinking about being the mom or the dad who is maybe on their phone a lot anyway. And now you've got a kid that might be seeing the mom playing Bejeweled or whatever and start to have a little paranoia about is mom observing me and adding more information and ah, so is that something that you've encountered where that's causing any friction points at home, any of those flashpoints? And if so, any advice on how to navigate that? I'm not aware specifically of that feedback. And we get lots of feedback. I mean, we, we now have over 15,000 families 
that are using the app. And, uh, and we, we are building a social community uh, in there uh, for people to share feedback with each other and then push in that area. So I'm not aware of that specific. Uh, for example, we have a relationship with a, a company called Bark. And Bark is a social media monitoring platform that has over 4 million subscribers and is predominantly parents setting up safeguards, rails for their children's use of social media. And so, you know, so there are some, there are some things like that, but our app is probably much more um, low key than that. So there's nothing on the child's phone. There's nothing on their phone that gets changed or uh, anything like that. All of the inputs really come from the parent uh, and they can set that up in a complete privacy. Uh, and it's so quick. And if you're in front of your child and, you know, the app stem, you know, connects with you, says, hey, is it time to do this? You can always put it on uh, snooze and, uh, and, and let it come back to you at another time. Awesome. Okay. I'm glad that's not a big deal. I was just, that was my, sometimes I go to the like worst case scenario and try to see what that does. And, and I'm happy to hear that's not there. You already embrace that. That's how you learn. That's why I do it. <laughs> and just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? Um, you know, what I'd like to say is that the main point of an app like Esteem is to improve outcomes of children overall long-term. And because they go through these developmental windows and because parents uh, in the past have had to rely on other people, I think the significant numbers of kids, they didn't get as much development. And parents didn't have the confidence. They weren't, they weren't uh, encouraged to take charge. And if they were, they didn't have the tools to do that. And so we really try to take what has been shown and proven over the past 20 years. The digital age has allowed us to digitize that, which allows us to put it in the hands of parents uh, to be able to be sure and to know when their children are moving forward, to know when they're, what they're investing in time and resources and money are working or not working, and to advocate for their children in expert fashion. And, uh, and the last part is uh, throughout this work, we've now realized that we need to provide and we are providing more tools for parents and young adults uh, right along with, uh, with this throughout the development because it's a family tool and dads are involved and older brothers and uh, other people and they all, all of us today could use some help in monitoring ourselves, being able to see problems before they get too big, know whether or not I'm, you know, I need to get help and know where to go get it and to get it at a level I want. Maybe I want to do something for myself. Maybe I want to talk to a coach. Maybe I feel like it's more severe and I need to talk to a licensed uh, therapist and have those choices and to be able to do that from the comfort of my home or at a time of my own choosing in a uh, fashion of my own choosing is where people are at today. They want choice and they want to be able to have some control and power in those relationships. And that's what esteem endeavors. You're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.